0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: All right, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and welcome to the show this May 25th, 2017. Uh, another Thursday evening, and i uh, got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be starting off here in just a few moments uh, with another great round of Coach's Corner with a uh, very, ske- uh, very special guest panelist uh, joining the group tonight, and we'll tell you a little bit about all of them uh, here in just a moment. But uh, uh, And then I'm going to be joined a little bit later on by uh, three great uh, golf professionals, John Dunnigan, Chuck Evans, and Tom Stickney are going to be joining me on the second half of the show tonight. Uh, so I hope you'll stick around for that as well. Um, but let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, and for those of you that are on the East Coast, that would be 7 to 9 uh, Eastern. And for those of you over on the other coast, uh, it's 4 to 6, of course, uh, uh, Pacific time. Um, but thank you for joining. Me, and the uh, best way to find me is, is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live or just type Golf Talk Live uh, up in the search key and that will take you to the show. Uh, Or you can also listen in uh, to uh, the show through iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you just go to either iTunes.com or Stitcher.com and just type under the podcast (coughs) section, Golf Talk Live, that will also take you there as well. And for some reason, if you can't join us during the live broadcast, not to worry. uh, Just visit any of those links and uh, just scroll down to the On Demand section, and uh, you'll be able to listen to the pre-recorded shows uh, when it's convenient for you. But for those of you joining us live tonight, thank you very much as always. Uh, always uh, appreciate uh, your uh, followship, if you will, for uh, listening to the show each and every week. Uh, if you want to call in or speak to any of the guests during the live broadcast, we would love to hear from you. You can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667. Uh, and, or, as always, you can email me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And, of course, uh, each and every week I update on social media, uh, as the guys uh, coming on here in just a moment will attest to, on uh, Facebook and, of course, Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is uh, CEO, and that's CEO in capital letters. And I want to thank all of the recent followers uh, on Twitter. Thank you very much for for doing so. And also, I I, uh, go to LinkedIn.com and post it through there as well. So virtually all of the main social media outlets, uh, you can find a link to the show. Uh, But again, thank you for joining us this Thursday evening. Uh, As I mentioned, we've got a great Coach's Corner. We're going to be talking about Part 2 or Topic 2 tonight, uh, on uh, really covering under the fitness side of golf a little bit, uh, with a very uh, special guest panelist, Brett Cohen. But let me introduce the guys, and then I'll bring them all on, and we'll get right down to our discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is Clint Wright. Uh, he's been on the show many, many times. Uh, he's a 30-year member of the PGA, uh, partner at TGM Golf, and a big proponent of the R3 approach. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best uh, covering the short game today. And uh, he uh, I, I can honestly say he's one of my favorite. Uh, uh, well, we'll see you after the end of the show. I don't know. That may change. Uh, but one of my favorite guests and panelists. <coughs> Uh, here on Coach's Corner. Uh, Also uh, joining again for the second time on the panel, uh, but not the second time, of course, on the show, is uh, John Decker. He's the author of the book Golf Is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game. He's also a motivational speaker for uh, Celebrate Sports uh, Tour Foundation, and he was the former director of instruction for the New Albany Country Club up in New Albany, uh, Ohio, as well as the uh, head uh, instructor for Grand Cypress Academy of Golf in Orlando, Florida. Uh, rounding out the uh, the regular panel, if you will, is Brandon Stooksbury, who's been on many, many times as well. I haven't had him here for a little while, but uh, glad to have him back. Uh, he's the Director of Instruction at the prestigious Idle Hour uh, Club in Macon, Georgia, and has been ranked in Golf's uh, Digest Best in State Instructor Rankings for Georgia, and was honored uh, as the 2015 Central uh, Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year, specialized in competitive player development, enjoys teaching players, of all levels from beginner to uh, the tour players. Uh, he's an 11-year member of the PGA Certified in Instruction and uh, considered to be one of uh, Golf Digest's best young teachers, uh, which is also known as Top 40 Under 40. Uh, honorable mentions from everybody from U.S. Tops, uh, US Kids mm-hmm. Top 50, uh, five-time PGA Award winner and uh, best-selling author of the Wedge Book, uh, and coming this fall uh, in 17, uh, will be the Putter Book. And certainly last but not least, our special guest panelist is Brett Cohen and founder of New York or NY Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, Brett has been involved in the fitness industry for over 17 years, specializing in uh, working with golfers and uh, individuals over 50 and is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf fitness certifications, Titleist Performance Institute and Czech Institute, as well as two other fitness certifications uh, specializing in the mature population. Uh, thank you, guys, and uh, that was a lot to get out, but welcome to uh, Coach's Corner tonight at <laughs> Golf Talk Live. Glad to be here.
2: Glad to be here as well. Thank you,
3: Ted.
1: Not a problem. I'm go- I'm going to have to start editing this down because you guys are just getting too. Either that, or you got to quit getting more accolades uh, for me to add. You guys are just <laughs> getting too many uh, uh, great things to add on uh, on your uh, resumes. But uh, glad to have you guys on here. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Brett Cohen is going to be uh, our- my special guest panelist tonight. He's going to sort of Uh, initiate the conversation and then I'll uh, jump in with a few words here and there along the way uh, as well as everybody else. But Brett, why don't you start us off and and I think probably, uh, let me just say this, Uh, on March 9th we covered uh, topic one which was uh, what you should do to prepare for the upcoming golf season Uh, and that was on March 9th and uh, we're going to talk about topic two uh, which I'll let you get into. So Brett, why don't you let us know what uh, the second topic is going to be tonight, what we're going to be covering and uh, just do our intro and then we'll go from there.
2: Sure. Uh Today's topic is the most por- the most important piece of equipment you own, which is, of course, uh, the body. Um, so I just wanted to remind the audience that, unlike the other panelists, I'm the only one that does not teach the golf swing. I'm a golf fitness instructor, and that simply means that I help golfers assess and overcome the physical restrictions that prevent them from playing their best golf, and they still need good golf instruction along with that. Uh, So when it comes to improving your golf game, I think the first stop for every amateur golfer should always be their body, but for most amateurs, it's not. Uh, Far too often, amateur golfers think that if they just get the latest piece of equipment, maybe a new driver on the market, a gadget that measures club hit speed, a GPS watch or something like that, uh, it'll somehow dramatically improve their golf game, and, of course, it doesn't. I call that uh, the shiny object syndrome. (laughs) <laughs> so, Well, uh, we know technology certainly has a place in golf And can give a golfer great feedback uh, And good equipment is certainly you know, important in improving the performance of any athlete Oftentimes the average amateur just can't take advantage of all that technology Because their body doesn't work the way it needs to the, To play the sport the way they want to
1: Well said. Um, and, and tonight on Golf Talk Live, we're going we're to sort of venture into some of the things uh, that our amateurs uh, can and should be doing to get the most out of all of this golf te- technology, uh, but more importantly, um, how they can utilize uh, their body uh, and get it into peak performance so they can get out and play it. And, you know, I think, Brett, and I'm sure you'll concur with this, I think a lot of people are under the mis- misnomer when they start to hear about fitness, you know, they start looking at some of these young guys on tour and think, well, you know, here I'm, I'm in my late 50s or early 60s. You know, I'm not going to be able to get in the same shape as, say, Rory McElroy or or, or uh, some of the other young guys out on tour like that. Uh, it's just not going to yeah. happen. And, and that's really what we're not we're not talking about that. We're just talking about getting the best shape for you, number one. Uh, but just giving you the the best opportunity. Uh, to be able to make some great golf shots. And the only way you can do that is if, if your body's in, in the best shape it can be. And, and there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about tonight and how you can do that. Um, and and I, I want to bring the other guys in here as well uh, just for a moment. But let's, let's talk about what's, I think, Brett, first, let's talk about one of the most important things I think any golfer, amateur or otherwise, uh, really should do uh, before they enter into, you know, any sort of um, uh, commitment uh, with their golf game.
2: Yeah, the first thing that they should do is to find out how well their body works in relation to what is desired and required of a mechanically correct golf swing, and that's by getting a physical screen. And the screening process that I use, I use the TPI screen along with others, but the TPI screen gives us a a quick way to identify physical limitations that may be causing a golfer's swing inefficiencies. Uh, And those inefficiencies not only lead to you know, moving compensations and, of course, the uh, swing faults. but later down the line they can lead to injury as well, uh, which is pretty prevalent amongst amateur players. It's about 70%. Uh, so after the assessment or screen is over, then I'm able to offer, you know, simple solutions to kind of get them back on track, and that's where the fitness part begins with a, a viewing of what your body is physically capable of doing and not capable of doing.
1: Right. Uh, so let me just let me just direct this to the panel, um, and, and I'm going to start, uh, Clint. Obviously, with you with you first because uh, I always enjoy um, <laughs> giving you the the business. But
4: um, I hear you, that's fine. You know, <laughs> yeah.
1: Now I know that you probably personally don't do this aspect of it, but maybe you've worked with some other uh, fitness people uh, throughout your your uh, your golf career and that that have maybe helped you or you've directed them uh, to that, but. You obviously understand the importance of being in good shape and, and being as healthy as we can. Um, do you incorporate that or have you incorporated that throughout your career in, in getting your students to make sure that they're uh, doing some sort of a fitness routine or, or getting a screening, if you will, uh, to make sure and, and assess their limitations? You may not do it personally, but uh, have you worked with anybody that has maybe helped you in that area to, to make sure your your golfers are, are – uh, uh are are able to do some of the things that you're going to be re- requiring them to do out in the golf course uh
4: yes I'm, i mean for for years you know here recently anyway it's become more of a thing you do when in my early teaching career, you know you tried to figure out on your own by working with the student to see what they could do and couldn't do uh it's obviously become more uh sophisticated now with the t p i uh screening process. Uh, We have a gentleman that that, uh, we work with that will do this uh, TPI uh, certified, that uh, particularly with some of our senior players, uh, Mm -hmm. we encourage them to to do that uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, Obviously, we don't want them swinging to hurt themselves, uh, to give them some idea and give us an idea, obviously, what they're capable of doing. Uh, In most of my teaching today, you know, we really – look at it more from a, a stamina standpoint. Mm-hmm. That You know, if you're going to work on the short game a lot and really want to, to hone that in, that's a lot of practice time, a lot of staying bent over and standing there making putts. And you can pretty much tell when you're working with somebody, particularly in their putting, and you're hitting, you know, 75 to 100 putts in a, in a time frame, you start to see them stretch their back a little bit, you can tell pretty quick <laughs> whether they're, you mm-hmm. know whether they're doing any stretching at home, and mm-hmm. so we encourage them to get into just a very simple stretching program uh, to to help yeah. with that. Yeah. So we have a guy yeah, on staff. I, big blown-out thing, but we encourage the stretching for sure.
1: Fantastic, um, Brandon. I know that you've worked with a, a myriad of of. Uh, professionals out there, uh, and beginners, and, and uh, obviously some of our high handicap amateurs as well. Um, let, let's take this from a little bit different angle. You know, obviously when you're getting some of your higher caliber players, more often than not, especially as Clint just pointed out in today's game, um, they're pretty fitness conscious. Uh, would you agree?
5: Uh, yes and no. I think they are aware of whether or not they are overweight or strong or weak but not necessarily whether they are in golf fit shape
6: if that makes sense mm-hmm. um
5: right I, I heard a chuckle obviously somebody else has experienced the yeah. same things i have but uh but yeah i would say they're they're certainly more aware than than the average player no doubt
1: right now do you do you do anything um specific uh do you work with somebody or 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 uh, you yourself do you obviously i'm sure you encourage them to get into uh, to some sort of a, a fitness routine to, to help, uh, uh, you know, improve their abilities out in the golf course. But do you have somebody on staff there uh, where you are um, that you work with that, that can help them uh, in that area? Because I know you're focusing more on the instruction side.
5: Yeah, I do. I, we have a we have a fitness director at our club um, that, that handles all that. I, I personally myself am TPI certified, and so I've I've been through the the, the process and used. Use their screening, uh, similar to, to what we talked about earlier. I, you know, it, it's different for me in a club environment because I see I see both sides of the spectrum. I teach my share of elite players, both at the uh, you know the, the the tour level, the mini tour level, the elite collegiate level, and then I teach my share of club players as well. Um, and, and the conversation I think you know I have to have with each of those golfers is a little bit different. You know, for the for the elite player who is already or is certainly willing to get involved in the fitness, I always have to explain to them that, the, you know, their fitness level will set the ceiling for their success. Mm. And so, the, you know, their their golf swing will get so good, but at the end of the day, the the fitness is really what's going to keep them from getting as good as they could be at that level because they're not afraid to practice and spend all the time in the world out on the driving range. At the club level, You know, I have two big responsibilities. My first is to not hurt them. You know, my my, my first is to not ask them to do something that will physically injure them. Um, And the the second is I I have a response, and this is why I went to to the TPI, you know, to the TPI at Oceanside to to get certified. I, I feel like I have a responsibility as an instructor to know where they stand and then be able to work around their inefficiencies. As, as, as look, here's the cold hard truth of it. If I waited on every golfer to get physically fit and healthy before they came to take a golf lesson, I'd be broke, right? <laughs> <And> so <laughs> right. It, it's it's always it's always an encouragement. It's always there. It's always you know th- something I'm trying to get them to move toward. But I have a responsibility as an instructor for getting them better despite that. Now I have two choices: try to get them to move the wrong way and and hurt them. Worst case, best case, they'll never be able to do it because they can't move that way.
1: Or I can right.
5: find out a little bit of information about what they can and can't do so I know what to avoid so I don't hurt them and know how to work around it so that they can actually do what I need them to do in their golf swing. And so we have a guy on staff. I do all my own screening and, and send you know send them to him with a full screen kind of already completed and and we, we you know over the last couple of years we've had a good working relationship yeah and, and well said
1: and 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 i agree with with uh, both uh clinton and, and uh brandon you know you're exactly right you know we want to make sure first and foremost that you know any students that we're working with um as brett pointed out you know it's good to have an assessment now we may not do it uh, personally because you know we may not be skilled in that particular area but it's good for them to to make sure because the last thing you want to do is get somebody out in the practice tee and get them swing, um, you know, uh, with, with their clubs. And if they're, if they're not in, in any sort of decent shape, uh, suddenly, you know, they're walking away or, or as Clint pointed, you know, doing 75, hundred putts in a session. And, you know, the poor guy get, can't get into his car or back into the golf cart because, you know, he can't bend over anymore, uh, or he can't stand up one of the two, you know, cause he's been crouched yeah. over in his posture. Um, John, I want to bring in you here. I, I know that you're not doing as much uh, you know, of the teaching side of things uh, at this point. Uh, John, of course, has been uh, traveling around on, on a book tour here recently and um, um, so I know that he's not doing as much. but John, I know that you've been uh, you know, teaching golf over the years for, for a long, long time, and I'm sure you've seen all shapes and sizes uh, you know, come to uh, come to you for lessons over the years. Um, is there anything that you try to do to encourage uh, your students uh when you were working with them um to, to really i guess take it serious and 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 explain to them some of the benefits of making sure that they were you know stretching before they play and and uh and even stretching after so sort of a pre-stretch and a post-stretch was there anything that you tried to do with with your uh students uh, in order to to get them uh i guess golf fit ready
3: yes um ted, ted again thank you for having me on the show the uh the first thing I have all my students do is before they play, I tell them before you play, just take a walk around the neighborhood, get on a treadmill, get your body warmed up. Before you arrive, you, you already need to start warming your body up. Um, you know, I talk to them about their diet, about you know, uh, eating, you know, making sure that they've they've had enough food before they get there. Um, i I do a lot of I really emphasize like the orange whip, anything that's weighted that they can swing. I am going to be emphasizing that and the medicine ball. I use a medicine ball, um, four, six pound, eight pound for the really elite players. I use medicine balls. I have some warm up exercises that I do with them, um, and I've also led a class when I was at New Albany. I led a fitness class in the winter, um, and we did a lot of golf stretches, a lot of golf uh, swings uh, or swinging motions. Um, I would, you know, have them swing the orange whip and. Uh, do it and and put them through some cardiovascular stuff Um, but one thing that I I really try to stress to them as well I try to be honest with them if if someone comes to me and they are overweight um, they're going to have a hard time uh, enjoying the game and and they're going to have a hard time getting through life in general uh, in a lot of ways so I try to emphasize to them hey you know not only is this going to help your golf game but you're going to enjoy your life a lot more um, I work out six days a week uh, personally, and I try to stress that to them and say, if I can do it, you know, you can do it. And it doesn't have to be going yeah. to the gym for two hours. I'm talking about, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a day of just doing something that to, to put mm-hmm. your body, get to get your body. Because it, you have to emphasize to the student that this is an athletic game, and you're using your body to try to generate clubhead speed. You're not using your hands and your arms. You're using your body. And so you have to be able to be in shape uh, to some degree to expect to play good golf.
1: Yeah, well said. Uh, Some excellent points, John. Thank you.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Brett, I want to come back to you. Yeah, I want to come back to you, Brett, just to talk about um, really, you know, most people think they understand – um, what kind of stretching they need to do and, and I know we don't have the the uh, ability for visual here so we'll have to sort yeah. of use our imaginations for those of you listening out there but talk about w- really how to stretch what are some of the best because again uh, stretching for 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 uh, players that want to play golf might be different than than stretching for another sport just because you're using different muscles and you're uh, you know the golf swing is different than maybe uh, some other athletes so um, there are obviously specific stretches that we might want to do that are going to be conducive for, for those that want to play their best golf. So talk a little bit about that. And then I've got some other questions for the guys.
2: Sure. Uh, well, there's different kinds of stretching for different times of stretching. Um, prior to play meant a dynamic stretching routine, uh, which helps take joints through a full range of motion and usually repl- replicate movements that are involved in the activity to come. Uh, but golfers should also do, a lot of them that need to stretch more, which is the most most amateurs, uh, what I call isolated stretching or um, static stretching, either before that dynamic warm-up or as the cool-down, as you mentioned earlier, another time. Another thing they should be doing is cool-down stretching, which the focus should be, uh, without having an assessment, on certain parts of the body that are typically tight and restricted. Those are going to be the muscles in the front of the chest, um, the lats, the side of the back, which uh, will restrict uh, shoulder flexion, the ability to bring their arms up overhead. Um, the muscles that attach your spine to your pelvis, it's known as the quadratus lumborum, really important muscles to stretch because it's a contralateral uh, hip rotator, so if it's tight, it won't allow the, the body to turn in the opposite direction. Uh, the hip rotator is really important to stretch. Those are muscle groups that they should focus on uh, in isolation, and then they should have a, a practice of uh, dynamic stretching before they play, which is on my website as a, as a, a PDF document download, and uh, a, they could view that as well on uh, my YouTube channel.
1: Okay, perfect. Um, now, let me let me ask you, um, Brett, real quick, and then I'm going to uh, get back into uh, some questions with the other guys as well. Um, why is it important for a cool-down stretching? I mean, I understand the important, and I know the answer, but I, I just want you to explain it for the listeners out there. You know, obviously, stretching before um, we get out and, and play and, and warming up and getting those muscles good and warm, especially if you're you know, uh, early in the season up in the Northeast, where it's still not quite, uh, you know, in the 70s maybe. Uh, it's a little cooler. The muscles are cool. I, I understand the, the importance of stretching, but what about post-round when we come out? Why, why the cool-down stretching? What's important about that?
2: Who are you asking, Ted? <laughs>
1: you, uh, Brett. Sorry, I'm sorry. Oh,
2: you were. <laughs> was I was you were asking me. Uh, it, it helps the body uh, recover, from the activity, So the best time to do it, and it's not always a convenient time to do it, is not immediately after the activity is over, but before you go to bed, because that's when the muscles are going to start to stay in their shortened position, and um, if that happens, you tend to wake up a little bit sore in the morning. So the optimal time is not when the muscles are warm after the activity is over, but after you've cooled down and try to lengthen them up again. I don't know if that's right. something you okay. do, but Good. that's, that's what I would recommend.
1: I I try and I, I must confess, I don't do it every time, but I do try to do it. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think as we get older, uh, unfortunately you get a little, and, and guys, I'm sure you can all agree to this. How many times we've seen it at a golf course, especially with some of our, our senior players, uh, you know, they'll get off the golf court and they'll, you know, turn back and forth a couple of times. They maybe lift a leg once or, or twice and they, that's the extent of their stretch. Um, and then they get out there and wonder why the golf ball goes 35 yards to the right or hooks to the left or what have you. But um, you know they're obviously not uh, they're not going to stretch and and, uh, and and it's unfortunate. But you know, short of hitting them over the head, there's not a lot you can get them to do. Clint, I want to I want to go to you again for a second um, because the short game, obviously, um, you know, you alluded to earlier, especially with putting and that why it's important to, you know, to be, and again, we're not talking about, uh, you know, being an Olympiad or something like that. We're just talking about being fit enough. Um, Why is it important to, to, you know, have those muscles stretched and be in good shape um, when you're playing, uh, you know, putting, what, what benefit do you see uh, obviously being in shape?
4: Well, you know, there, there, are some obvious things, but it really, to me, you're still maintaining the same hip flex and, and tilt and spine angle in your putting and, and chipping as you're doing your full swing. And so, therefore, you, know, you need to be in good enough shape that, that's, that you can actually maintain and hold those positions through motion. We all can get there and stand still but being able to maintain those positions while your body's moving in a circular fashion through the ball is something that, that, that's obvious that you, you have to, to be reasonably ready to do that. We've all understand that's on this panel. We've played golf with a sore back. If you've played golf as long as we have, you've been out there and your back's been a little sore and we all know how more difficult it is to, to maintain those positions when you're a little on the, the sore side. But to me, in order for a person to be fit and, and regular, it's what I alluded to a few minutes ago, the, the short game obviously is the, the very precise part of our game, and you well know that I think if you're going to play this game, you need to spend a, a, a predominant more time in that area than you do maybe in your full swings, which not very many people do. But there takes a stamina level to be able to stand there and hit that many shots over a period of time staying in those positions so I've always encouraged, look if you're gonna practice and then really want to improve your scoring you gotta you gotta spend some time here and so therefore that ability to practice with any length of time and numbers of shots uh, require you to be in a physical position in where you're not not hurting yourself or making yourself overly sore and stiff by practicing that much in those positions through a short peri- you know, through a period of time. So, so mm-hmm. in my opinion, it, it's as much about being able to spend the practice time and working on that part of the game and, and not begin to overstress those, those muscles in your back particularly. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, and uh, ex- excellent point, uh, Clint. Thank you. And, and you're exactly right. You know, I think a lot of people um, you know, don't understand the benefits of, of having a healthy body and and being fit. And, and, um, you know, Brandon, you had mentioned earlier, you know, obviously people coming to the the practice tee or coming for a lesson that, that are definitely overweight. That doesn't mean we're, we're not trying to discourage anybody from wanting to play golf. Uh, but there are other issues there that, that need to be addressed. And, you know, people don't think that golf, uh, can be physically demanding, um, and it's certainly not like football or baseball or, or hockey or some of these other more uh, you know contact type sports or uh, you know where there's you know you're not running on the golf course. Uh, but it can be. And, and Brendan, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. You know, obviously, uh, you as well work a lot with the with the short game. Uh, you wrote a great book, by the way, uh, called the Wedge Book, and you're coming out this fall with the Putter Book, uh, the Putting Book, excuse me. Um, but what does it really matter for somebody that wants to? really dial in those wedges whether in good shape or not what, what what benefit are they going to see from that that was for brandon
2: brandon you still there <laughs> yeah sorry I, I
5: had it on mute and i my phone got locked on me and i couldn't get it off mute sorry um, <laughs> did, you, did you hear the question so, so, so yeah i did i did yeah so okay So 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 here's the deal right Short game has a lot to do with some of the smaller muscles and the finer points in your hands and arms. No question, right? But if you don't have the larger muscles and the larger, the larger, you know, pieces of your body that are cooperating, then you can't think about the finer muscles of the hands and the arms. And what I mean is if, is if you are so out of shape that you can't, Move and rotate and bend even just a little bit without losing your balance, then you're going to be thinking more about staying on your feet than you are how soft your hands and arms are moving or 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 how the golf club is hinging or rotating or releasing uh you know in putting if if you're if you're bending over and the the simple act of of getting into the right posture is painful, there's no doubt you could stand there and you could force yourself. Even if it's a, even just moderately painful, you could force yourself to get into the correct posture because your instructor has told you why you need to do that. But if you're worried and thinking and pushing so hard on that, how much are you really worried about the flow of the club and speed control and acceleration profiles of the putter head? You're not at all. And so, right? There, there, there's a, there's a, there's a, a limited amount of fitness. I, I don't even say limited. There's a, there's a floor, if you will of fitness that has to be involved before you can really stop worrying about that piece and put your thought and mind on what you need to be worried about, specifically in short game. And short game is a little bit different than in the full swing because the club or the putter is moving slower, slow enough, in fact, mm-hmm. that we actually can manipulate and control it. We don't, we don't have a lot of the ability to do that in the full swing because it's going so fast. We can to some degree, right. but the full swing is, is is more of a direct momentum in a direction and kind of hang on. You know, some people might agree or disagree with that, but it, but in short game, I can manipulate the golf club or the putter head as it's moving. You know, because it's it's slow enough. If you if all you're thinking about is how bad my lower back hurts because I'm trying to get in this stupid position that my instructor told me I needed to be in, you're not thinking about your hands, <laughs> right? You're just not, <laughs> and, and and so. Well, I- that that right. minimum level of fitness has to be there so you can put your mind where it should be.
1: Right. Well said. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like to like being called stupid or not, but <laughs> I'm just teasing. You. Well, 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 well. You good. know, I mean, I, I call
5: myself stupid. You know, that's what they're thinking, right? I mean, <laughs> sure, of course, because they they tell me that all the time. They're like, you know, this stupid position you're asking me to get in, I just can't do it. You know, well, I, I'm not sure I would call it stupid, but I can appreciate why you feel it that way, right? Uh, but
3: anyway, <laughs>
1: right? I digress. Good point. Good no, good point. Uh, well said, Brandon. Um, John, I want to pick up just from from something that uh, that Brandon just mentioned here a moment ago. Um, you know, really, when comparing the full swing, uh, you know, to to uh, obviously in your short game, you know, you're not always, uh, first, very seldomly ever taking a full swing. Um, there's a certain momentum with the full swing um, that really allows the the, the sort of the natural flow, if you will, uh, of the golf club. So obviously, you know, you can, I won't say cheat a little bit, but it gives you a little bit of an advantage um, if you're not as in good shape on a full swing than than it is in the short game. What do you like to see from your uh, students that that you're working with or have worked with, uh, John, where, you know, because as Brandon pointed out in, in the, in the shorter part of the, the game, you're able to manipulate a little bit more because the swing is slower in that, uh, in the full swing, uh, again, that momentum talk a little bit about, if you wouldn't mind um, what some of the, uh, I guess things that you like to see golfers do in order to be able to get, um, you know, into those different transition areas uh, with the golf swing.
3: Well, if you're, if you're, When I look at the golf swing, you know I'm looking. uh, One of the things I'm going to be looking at is comparing the full swing to the short game. um, Is I try to stress that the time that it takes the club to go back into the ball is one second. So obviously, if I've got a three foot putt, I'm not going to make a full swing, but I'm still going to take the putter head back into the ball in essentially one second. That's what the great players do. I want the club head moving at its fastest point when it's striking the ball. That means the ball's got to be in the right spot, your distance from the ball, all those things that we we all deal with on a daily basis with our students. So, um, you know, the the motion, you know, I had the opportunity to to spend 20 years with Phil Rogers. And, you know, he said the best way to teach the full swing is to teach pitching because it has all the same motion that you have in the full swing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You are going to, and it has the same time, that you're going to have in the full swing but you're going to be hitting shorter shots and it's going to improve your scoring so you have an added benefit i tell my students if you have one thing to work on if, if you if you know if you come home and you have 15 minutes after work and and you have one thing to work on work on your pitching because if you work on your pitching you're going to improve your scoring you're going to uh improve your full swing and you're going to maintain your timing and if you can do that i think that's the best way to to maximize you know a short amount of time because most people that are that we 're dealing with on a daily basis when we 're teaching them they don 't have hours to work on their game they have minutes a lot of times, and a lot of times it 's you know right before they tee off so Little things like that. I think that if you can work on those skills um, when you're comparing those, and then as far as the the you know what the guys were talking about with staying in shape and the body and everything, what I find difficult about the short game if you're not feeling well, like Clint would say, maybe your back stiff or whatever, is those uneven lies and those difficult shots around the green where you got one foot in the bunker, one foot out, um, you have got you know downhill lies out of the bunker, things like that. That's when, if you're not in shape, boy, that really, it really uh, gets magnified on the golf course. And then you're going to have no no touch and no feel and you, because, uh, you know, you're going to be worried, kind of like Brandon was saying, you're going to be worried so much about your injury that you're not really able to focus on your swing.
1: Yeah, um, some excellent points. Thank you, John. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Brett, what about that? You know, that that's something there that I'm sure that you've had – with with some of your uh, students that have come in uh, through some of your fitness programs that obviously are out in the golf course um, that maybe have head injuries or have uh, some aches and pains we all get them especially as we get older um, you know if, if the students focusing ninety percent of their time or even eighty percent of their time on you know their um, dysfunction if you will out in the golf course mm-hmm. and not really able to focus on their game that's a big problem correct.
2: Yeah, it's a big problem. It's, a, it's a really it's a simple solution. So the reason why th- that focus is the way it is is because the number one job of the brain is to keep you safe. So if the brain doesn't think that movement is safe for you, that it's somehow a threat, it may cause you to fall, which could in the past could lead to death, um, it's not going to let you move. So it, it can't predict what will happen next. It's going to create tension. And that tension is reflected in the golfer not being able to usually not being able to follow through and not being able not being able to pay attention to those finer points that were just spoken about to what they need to be doing with their hands or their arms uh, because they, the, the organism feels like it's not safe. Uh, and that's where right. that's another reason to be fit because your, your body's not going to allow you to move in a way that it feels threatened. So if you don't have, proper mobility and stability and flexibility to get in position and maintain that position. Uh, you're just not going to have a good time out there.
1: Yeah. And, and, and well said as well, um, Brett, you're exactly right. You know, and, and something too, and, and guys uh, feel free. Uh, I'm not going to go any specific order, but, but to jump in uh, on this one here, uh, you know, this is something that we see with, with a lot of our, our, our more senior golfers that, you know, as we get older, um, and, and our nerves uh, in all parts of our body uh, aren't functioning to their full capacity, this is why one of the reasons why you see a lot of older golfers become very unsteady. Everybody always blames the muscles and blames it uh, you know, on old age, but really what, what it boils down to, and Brett, please correct me if I'm, if I'm uh, mm. misspeaking here, but my understanding is, from what I've been told, is that as we get older, our, the nerves in our body... Uh, are not firing as as quickly and as efficiently as they did when we we're younger. So, as an example, um, they don't feel the ground uh, the same as they once did. So, a lot of you'll see a lot of older people. It's not just because they're stiff and rigid; it, it's because they don't feel the ground the same way. So, when they take a step, they're kind of slapping their feet along because their nerves are not firing back to the brain saying, Hey, there's ground underneath. So they're kind of become very unsteady. And obviously there's some muscle issues as well. And, and, you know, obviously some, some general aches and pains that we all feel, but, um, that's an area as well too. And, and, and I know that there's, you know, that's where you're going to get some, some, a little more medical help maybe if if there is a serious issue, but that's, uh, something as well. I think that, that golfers need to be aware of. And I want to point out one last thing, that I have found personally, and I did this years ago, and I want to ask right around the panel here if, if you've ever used them. And I'm talking about the good ones. I'm not talking about the cheap ones that you buy. Have any of you ever used uh, magnetic insoles in your shoes? And anybody? I have not. Yes or no? No. No,
3: not for me. No? Okay.
1: I'm going to make a suggestion. To all of you, and for the listeners out there, and and the reason why I say don't buy the cheap ones, you can get cheap ones, and I'm not going to name um, the retail outlets for whatever reason. But um, you know you can get them for 19.99 and stuff like that. The magnets in them are are not sufficient. There is a company, and I've used this company, so I'm going to recommend I believe it's pronounced uh, Nikken N-I, I think it's N-I-K-K-E-N. Uh, I think it's Nikken or Nikken.com uh, com now, there are, I'm going to forewarn you, um, they're about $80 for for a pair, um, but I'm telling you that if you slip those into your golf shoes, um, what a, an incredible difference you will find in walking. When I used them years ago, and I have to get another pair, by the way, because I lost the other ones that I had, or they were stolen, one of the two, um, but... What a difference in in you know walking around the golf course, I felt. I didn't feel any of the discomfort and the energy. And there's just something about it. I don't understand all the technology, so I'm not going to try to pretend. Um, but if you ever get a, an opportunity to check it out, guys, purchase yourself a really good pair of magnetic insoles and stick them in your shoes, any shoe, but particularly your golf shoes and when you play, and I guarantee you'll notice a difference walking around the golf course. Um, just a personal note uh, for you guys to consider. Um, I want to move it along. Let's talk um, about, uh, I think, something that's really been talked about before, not only on the show, but in in general in in, in the golfing community. Um, But the question begs is, and this is sort of getting away from the fitness side a little bit, but uh, why aren't golf scores uh, going down despite so many of the advances uh, in club and ball technology out there and a host of gadgets? Um, John, I'm going to let you start uh, this time. Uh, just in your opinion, and this is not to discredit any uh, anybody that's that's uh, you know uh, part of some of the great gadgets out there. There are certainly a lot of great products out there, certainly some great technology. But the truth of the matter is, the stats don't lie, and the golf scores are still not really going down very much despite all of this technology. Uh, your thoughts on that?
3: Um, I think that the, and I'm not saying this just to plug uh, all of our wallets, but I think that. Um, I don't think people take enough instruction. I don't think that people, uh, if you look at the number of people at your club and then the percentage that actually take lessons, and I'm not talking about one lesson a year. I'm talking about on a consistent basis. Um, It's very difficult. Um, You know, when I see, it, it drives me crazy when I see, husbands trying to teach their wives and, and and fathers trying to teach their sons that don't <laughs> mm-hmm, know what mm-hmm. they're doing there i realize there's people out there that really know how to how to teach but a lot of times it it, it 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 makes me when i walk by them because i know the information that they're telling them to do is not right uh when they're telling them just keep your eye on the ball just keep your eye on the ball i know that's not going to help them and um so it's very frustrating for me as an instructor and i realize a lot of people don't want to pay the money for the lessons, but do yourself a favor. If you want to lower your scores, get yourself on a program, and don't just take eight hours of full swing lessons. Uh, take all kinds of lessons. Take, you know, short game. Take playing lessons. Uh, do a, do maybe specify some of that time for club fitting. Get an assessment done on your, you know, going to someone like Brett where you're getting your physical assessment done as well. And and budget it for, right. you know, the, the, the best students I've had are the ones that take – Five or six lessons early on in the season, and then I say, "Go at it! Just go play now. You've got it. Go play." They're the ones whose handicaps always go down. Uh, it's the person who takes the lesson the day before the member guest. They're the ones that have the frustration, and it just—it just that's just not the way golf is. I think if more people took lessons, I think their scores would go down.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, a excellent point. Well said, John. Uh, Brandon, what about yourself? Uh, you know, uh, scores aren't going down. I know I'm sure you agree with a lot that John said, but anything you want to add to that? Um, We've got a lot of technology, a lot of club, uh, great clubs out there and, and great uh, product out there, as we all see at the PGA show every year. Um, but still, the, the scores, uh, as John pointed out, uh, for very few are, are, are changing much. Uh, what's happening, do you think?
5: Yeah, I, well, the, the, the first of all, I would, I, I absolutely agree, and, and you're right. It will come across as a, a cheap attempt to put more money in all of our instructors' pockets, but that's just <laughs> it. I mean, pe- people don't spend enough time working properly on their game, and, and, and working is an important word, and properly is an important word, and then they're important together, right? People, as a general rule, don't spend enough time practicing, and the time they do spend practicing usually isn't on the right stuff. Um, and, and so you've got to get the help. You, you know, you've got to you, you've got to go see somebody that 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 can help you in the right direction and push you in the right way. The second thing I'll say is, and it's, it's, I have to be very careful here that I don't that I don't offend any manufacturers. Okay, right? Golf clubs do not. Have not ever, and will not ever, help you play better golf. Okay, it's an right. inanimate object. If I if I if I stood it up and then moved my hand from it, it's going to fall lifeless to the ground. Okay, it mm-hmm. doesn't do anything that you don't make it do. Mm-hmm. And, and we are right. perhaps one of the right. only industries. Now think about this. Ponder this for a second. Name me one other sports industry, maybe tennis, maybe, that touts equipment as helping you to be better at the sport. Do, do, no. do you hear yeah, do you you're, hear no. baseball glove companies talk about how their baseball glove helps you catch it more? Do you hear no. football cleat no, companies not. talk about no, how, how their cleats make you run faster? We are the only – sport on planet Earth that lets our manufacturers get away with peddling the idea that buying more equipment or better equipment will help you play better golf. If you deliver the face of the golf club 10 degrees open to the target line and swing it nine degrees left of the target line, I got news for you folks, you're going to play bad golf. I don't care what kind of equipment you have, right? And so the whole idea, I think, is flawed behind new technology in the game and advances in technology, why aren't handicaps coming down? Because the technology doesn't drive the handicap. That's the problem. Yep. Right? And so yes. yeah. I think people yeah. have to spend more time working on their game the right way. If you do that, you could play with a set of pings that are 15 years old mm-hmm. and hit good golf shots. Mm-hmm. Period. Yep. Right? Now, that, you know, that, that's there's yeah. some fringe arguments that, you know, clean wedges – help you spin it better, which helps you stop it more, and you know, larger sweet spots. And Look, I'm not denying all that, right? The technology is absolutely sure. advanced, but it's on the fringes, and the fringes don't yep. drive the national handicap average. And so I, I better stop yep. and get off my soapbox before I offend somebody <laughs> else, but, but that, that, that's my two cents. Work
1: on your game more. The dog. Amen. You're you're exactly yeah. You're exactly right, Brandon. And and I've said this. Listen, you're certainly not the first, and and certainly won't be the last to say it, uh, especially on this show. I've made no bones about it. I would rather see a student spend that four hundred or three four hundred dollars, whatever uh, you know, the new drivers are going for now, on some good quality uh, instruction um, than buying that new piece of equipment. And and just to to maybe alter a little bit about what you said, and then, and then Clint, I'm going to let you jump in. You know, I can't there play. are certainly benefits to be to be had. <laughs> certainly, benefits to be had uh, with equipment. Uh, again, if you know what you're doing, and this is why, um, you know, at the pro level or certainly uh, at the lower handicap level, uh, sure, those players are going to see some benefits from equipment um, only because, first off, they understand the fundamentals. They know how to uh, to you know put the club in the ball properly, how to swing properly, and so forth. So, obviously, they're going to reap uh, benefits of that technology. But for a 25-plus handicap, uh, you're, you're exactly right, Brandon. If if he, he or she is using the latest and greatest driver and expects to get 10, 20, 30 extra yards, it's just not going to happen, especially if they don't know how to set up to the golf ball or they don't know how to swing the club properly uh, or they don't even know what a square club face is. Um, you know, So there's a lot of variables there, and I agree exactly. And, and really... Uh, you know, it's a shame. I mean, I love the manufacturers. I think they got some great stuff out there. It's exciting to see. But it bothers me as well to, to hear them boast about it every year that, well, we've got this great new product coming out next year. And I'm excited to hear about it. But then as soon as it, it starts going through that, that, you know, wheel of, of um, uh, marketing ploy that it's going to do this, this, and this for your game, right away, you know, my mind starts going in reverse and saying, you know, like backing up. You hear that beep, 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 of like a truck backing up. It's like that, that's just garbage, and you know it. Um, Clint? Yeah, let me,
5: let, me, let, let, me, let me say one more sorry, thing, and Clint, it's all yours, okay? I, I'm sorry. I'm not off my, 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 my soapbox just yet. So Keep preaching. Look, 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 look here, here's the deal, okay? You have to remember why the manufacturers exist, okay? They are in the business to sell golf equipment. Let me say that again. They're there to sell golf equipment. They are not there to make you play better golf, okay? Now, I love them. It's capitalism. God bless them. They're all making hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's great, okay? But they are not in it to help you play better golf. They're in it to sell golf clubs, and if they want to sell golf clubs, they have to tell you the advantage of the new golf club they want you to buy. And they have chosen to give that advantage as an improvement in your golf score. Listen, if I hit it 12 yards farther, every time a certain manufacturer told me I was going to hit it 12 yards farther with a new driver, it'd be going 900 by now. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, mean, let's go 12, let's go 12 yards for the last 18 drivers. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. You got to remember
5: why they're in it. And if you approach it with that attitude, then you start to understand why the equipment doesn't make you better. Why you got to turn to your instructor and your work on the golf course to make you better. Okay, now I'm officially done. Go, Clint.
0: <laughs> okay, my right. turn, Clint.
5: All
2: right, yeah.
4: go ahead, Clint. Y'all, y'all sit down and strap it in because here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: it everything good, it is it.
4: absolutely correct. I've been a t- I've been teaching golf for over 40 years. I'm a re- lifetime member, retired PGA golf instructor. And, fellas, we've got to also look at ourselves in the mirror, too. Now, you're absolutely correct in saying that the golf manufacturers are there to sell equipment. That's what they're in the business for. But in reality, they're there to sell a person hitting. They want to hit it better. And for some reason, the mass public thinks that hitting it better is going to make them better players. And that's not true. You all agree to that. Hitting it better doesn't make you a better player. So if it's their responsibility to sell better hitting, it's our responsibility as instructors to teach the person how to play, mm-hmm. how to get around the golf course, use what they have better. I can tell you right now, I've got a 30-year-old driver in my bag, and I hit it further than any new thing on the market mm-hmm. because I hit it square, I hit it flush, and I hit it straight. Okay, so you're absolutely right. Equipment, you're right. If it was 15 yards further, we'd all, we'd, par fives would be drivable. Okay? But we've got to take some yeah. responsibilities as instructors to start convincing our students that just going out to the driving range or the practice facility, making full swings for an hour and working on that is really not going to make them a better player. It's going to make them a better hitter, yes, but it's not going to make them a better player. So we have to take the responsibilities of giving our students the confidence to understand that they can move beyond hitting. They have to sometime accept the fact that that's as good as they're going to hit it. You know, I do a program called the Third Shot Program. And the first question I ask everybody is I ask them, how do you shoot 108? Well, you make all sixes, you shoot 108. Well, if you want to shoot 90, which is all fives, what's the most important shot for you to be good at? And the answer to that question is your third one. If you can get your third shot on the green every time in two putts, you shoot 90. So how important is the pitching, like we talked about, or the third shot to lower their score? My opinion the reason that people's handicaps are not coming down. They're not focused, and this was mentioned before, focused on what they need to be improving on. But yep. for some reason, we never teach them or show them that it's okay to hit it the way they're hitting it. That gives them the luxury of moving over to that, that short game area or spend more time on the putting green because they can accept the fact that they're hitting it okay. But you see, one of the things we understand as a profession is that that is coming to us wanting to hit it better. So what do we do? Yep. We bounce our right out there on the, on the practice tee, and we hit balls for an hour. You've all seen it, because that's yeah. what our students come expecting us to do. We have to convince our students that, hey, you're hitting it okay. We might get a little better next week, but right now we're hitting it okay. Let's go work on your putty. Let's go see if we can get you down from 108 down to 90. And that's where we start seeing people improve their played ability versus their hit ability. And that's on us. As PGA instructors and golf instructors, that convincing our student it's about playability versus hit ability is on us. And we have to take responsibility to take our students where they need to go. And far too many times, I've done it myself, I've stood up there and watched them hit balls and says well let's go putt and they give you that puzzled look about why should we go chip and putt? I'm not hitting it good enough yet. You yeah. have to convince them of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's when we'll
4: start seeing scores go down. Because everything y'all have said is absolutely equipment is there, we got all that. why is it not coming down? Is because we're not taking our students to a place where they're <laughs> gonna lower their score. And hopefully that hadn't offended anybody. Well no. said,
1: Clint. No, you're, yeah, you're exactly right, Clinton. I'm glad I strapped myself in first because, boy, you came out <laughs> with both barrels on that one. But, but you're exact, yeah. You're exactly right, my friend. You know that that's the truth of the matter is, and this is not, you know, this is not to to pick on, uh, you know, our fellow golf instructors out there. But we we've all fell victim to it. Um, but a lot of it is because that's what the students are coming. That's what they're, you know, this is where, um, you know mass marketing has really done harm to the golf industry and particularly the golf professional because we're reaping the aftermath of some heavy marketing. And what's happening is, Clint, and as you said, you're exactly right. People are coming out and saying, well, I'm just not hitting the ball right. And as you said, you know, I'm, I can't break a hundred. Um, and they don't want to go to the, to the, the short game uh, area or the, the, the you know, short area of the practice range they want to go out there and, and beat their driver for an hour or so, or their longer uh, clubs, because I think that's, what's going to solve the problem. Um, Well, as most of us know, you know, your driver, you might, uh, you might hit, you know, 13, 14 times uh, in a round, whereas, you know, Clint, as you pointed it out, you know, your, your wedges and, and, uh, and putter in that you're, you're using more than 50% uh, in the golf game. So, you know, why, where are you putting your time? Where are you putting your effort? Uh, i got to give the last couple of minutes, because we're, we're literally out of time here, um, to Brett. Uh, Brett, I hope you enjoyed uh, our our of yeah. golf professionals. Uh, uh, John, Brandon, and, and Clint and I can, can certainly battle with the best of them. Um, yeah. um, but I want to give you an opportunity <laughs> just to, to very quickly sort of wrap this up and, and let the folks out there know to, um, how they can prepare mentally, physically, and nutritionally uh, uh, for performance and recovery. Uh,
2: goal. <clears throat> sure. I just I wanted to, to say first, I agree with all the guests that just spoke about why the scores are not getting any better. One of my teachers said in a lecture once give Wayne Gretzky a broomstick and he's still going to score a goal on you. So at the end of the day, the, it's the body that plays the game, not the equipment. Uh, so mm-hmm. to be good at golf, you need to be sound biomechanically. You still need great instructions and to, to learn how to play the game. Uh, the strategy of the game, and for the motor control that you're going to get from a good instructor, which are well said. the guests that you have on the show tonight. Uh, so to prepare physically, I think you need to, you have, you need to have a warm-up process in practice. Uh, you need to have a recovery process. And for nutrition, just to keep it really simple, I know we don't have a lot of time, you need to drink half your body weight in water every day start your day with hydration. You want to make sure that you have fuel in your system before you go out and play, uh, which means to have a breakfast. That's not a carbohydrate based breakfast that includes good proteins and fats. And during the round, you want to make sure you stay hydrated and keep uh, your blood sugar levels stable by eating healthy snacks. And uh, we can get into some well of those s- if you like.
1: <laughs> well, well said. And let me just add one, one, one final note, um, as well, and, and I know, especially when you get into uh, some of the, the, the country clubs and obviously some of the resort golf, uh, you know, and the old cart girl comes around, everybody likes to have a cold beer, especially if they're on vacation. Um, save the beer for the 19th hole, guys, because I'll, I'll tell you right now, the worst thing you want to do, especially when you get down here in the south, uh, uh, Brandon, John, and Clint and I uh, can certainly attest to this, um, you know, when it starts creeping up into 90-plus uh and that humidity gets going up there. The last thing you want to do, especially the front nine uh, is to knock back a a couple of cold ones uh, thinking it's going to be refreshing because you're going to become lethargic very quick. Uh, It's going to dehydrate you number one uh, and you're just not going to play your best golf. And I'm not trying to say that to rain on anybody, uh, anybody's parade, but get out there, keep hydrated as, as Brett just talked about, uh, enjoy it. And then, you know what, when you're sitting back uh, in the clubhouse and and maybe uh, want to have a cold refreshment, then, by all means, uh, you know, have at it, but don't do it during your round. Because I'm telling you, if you want to play better golf, that's the quickest way to, to ruin your, your game. And, and I'm not trying to rain anybody's parade, but um, that's just my thought. Uh, but uh, John, Brandon, and Clint, uh, and, and Brett, I want to thank you guys. Very interesting discussion tonight. I'm glad that we were able to, uh, uh, to, to get to some, some great uh, responses in, some great questions in. And thank you guys, uh, as always, for joining me uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. Thank you. Ted. Uh, glad great to be here tonight.
5: tonight. Thank you, Ted. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it.
1: All right, no problem. All right, until next time, guys. Have a great weekend, and again, thank you for joining me on Coach's Corner. Cool.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, that was uh, my very special guests. As I said, um, Brett Cohen, John Decker, Brandon Stukesbury, uh and and uh, Clint Wright, uh, all great uh, professionals. But I've got three more. Uh, as I said, uh, many, many times, a, a motley crew, if there ever, ever was one. In fact, I told one of them that this afternoon, uh, on the phone, let me just, uh, tell you a little bit about these guys and then I'll bring them on out. Uh, first up, of course, is John Dunigan. He's a PGA master Teach professional, uh, considered to be one of the top, uh, 100 teachers in the game today, uh, by golf magazine. Uh, he's on the advisory board for uh certified, uh, coaches association and a certified laser optics putting coach. Uh, as well as uh, being TPI certified. Uh, Mr. Chuck Evans, uh, also a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, Golf uh, Digest top teachers in America, uh, top 50 growth of the game teacher. Uh, He's a PGA Tour coach and owner, of course, of Chuck Evans Golf. And certainly last but not least, uh, Mr. Tom Stickney. He's the uh, Director of Operations for the Vedanta Golf Academies uh, down in Mexico. Uh, He's also a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, uh, Golf Digest top teacher, and Golf Tips uh, top 25 instructor, uh, many, many other accolades as well. But let me bring these guys out uh, and get into some great uh, discussion tonight. Go- hey, guys, Ken. good evening, hey, and, welcome to Golf Talk. Good
0: evening Hello, and
1: welcome gentlemen. to Golf Talk Live.
7: Well, hey. thank you. Very I'm very uh, Dick and Chuck. Hey, guys.
6: All right. Well, li- you- well listen, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. The one thank thing we for, forgot, yeah, yeah, you- was- forgot to mention was that I'm also the youngest of all those guys.
7: Okay. yeah and you're also you're also the one you're also the one that has much less hair than the other from <laughs> the gene pool get the gene pool <laughs> there you go All right.
6: well
1: as as uh, i i expected we're we're coming right out of the gate uh right from the beginning uh john uh, uh chuck and tom thank you very much for coming on uh Uh, I've been excited about having the three of you back on. I know we we tried doing this once before, but unfortunately, uh, I don't know whether Tom fell asleep or or what the deal was, but he wasn't able to join us the last time uh, for a great discussion. But he made it this time. So, Tom, thank you. Uh, God bless your brother, for for making it on on time. Um, Just kidding with you. (laughs) I got figured it out now. Listen, listen, I've gotten a little flustered with the time zone sometimes, too. Uh, A lot of people – you know, it's funny. One of the guests earlier before – just. I digress for a second we were talking about this of course I'm in the northwest part of Florida up here in the panhandle and uh, a lot of people don't realize this everybody assumes (laughs) that the whole state of Florida is under the eastern time zone but uh, about two hours uh, uh, excuse me west of Tallahassee uh, is uh, the central time zone which is where I am so a lot of people when I promote the show of course I promote the central time zone a lot of my guests of course uh, that are on the East Coast or under Eastern, so they get a little bit mixed up. So you're you're in good company, Tom.
6: Well, I uh, appreciate the the help. I, I need all of it I can get. That's for sure. <laughs> all
1: right, I, I'm going to start right out from the gate. This is, I I I got to confess. Um, this question actually came from Chuck. Uh, I was trying to put together some notes last night, late last night, to think about what I wanted to talk about uh, with you three, and uh, I, I know you're all. Very well-rounded and great professional has been doing this for a long, long time, Um, but Chuck kind of gave me an idea here. We're going to run with this. So my my first question to you guys, and uh, Chuck, I'm going to let you go last just because it was your question, and again, let you sit back and and listen to the other two. But um, John, I'm going to start with you. What were some of your biggest influences throughout your career that have helped you to sort of I guess accompany your teaching and coaching styles today. What were, who, who were some of your influences, and what were some of your influences to become who you are today?
8: Well, the the first one, without doubt, is the Golfing Machine book. Uh, that was my first golf instruction book, and uh, it was a uh, a lot harder than it looked. the uh, The book was uh, laid out differently. A man named Mac O'Grady uh, helped me learn how to read it. Um, one day, and then Mr. Chuck Evans, believe it or not, uh, helped me tremendously years ago with it. I also worked with Mike Bender when I was uh, working on my own game, and then I had various uh, help with putting and short game. Uh, let's see. I, I know that I'm going to leave people out, but uh, you know David Orr is wonderful, Craig Farnsworth, and uh, Mike Shannon, I spent time with all those guys and learned a ton there and then uh I have gone around the country uh learning from other pros like I you know I'm I'm no nothing special uh all of us have gone around the country if not the world looking for uh for new information from other pros Right
1: well so and and, and I think that's a I think that's a great testament really to uh, who you are as an individual. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people, and, and it's not just in the golf industry, but even out of the industry, when they get to a point in their careers that think, well, I, you know, I know everything. Uh, that's just not true. Uh, I think when, and, and, and even playing golf, I think because golf is sort of a progressive game in the sense that uh, you're never going to completely master it. You might master certain aspects of it, or be very good at certain aspects, uh, but you're always going to be continuing the learning uh, and grooving new uh, ways to, to improve your score. And I think that when you don't recognize that you become very stagnant and, and you don't progress or grow in your game. Um, Tom, what about you? What were some of your biggest influences uh, in your teaching and, and, uh, and coaching styles that, that you're using today? Who were some of the people that, that were most uh, uh, in, in, instrumental in, in helping you uh, get to where you are today?
6: Uh, you know, and it's funny. I, um I I bought, you know, when I came in, I was always an analytical teacher, and I was always very uh, interested in in technology, you know, 3D motion analysis and video systems and and all that stuff. At the time, um, I had actually gone to see Hank Haney in college, and I saw he had a uh, he had the first split screen video system that I'd ever seen. So when I got into the business, you know, the first thing I did was, oh, well, I've got to have that. And then there was also a uh, a 3D motion analysis system called the Swing Motion Trainer. So I bought that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I had this equipment. I also had a, a a club path monitor that worked with photoelectric cells. So, I mean, that was very, very rudimentary back in the day. <laughs> and, um, right. you know, it's funny. So I, here I am. I've had all this equipment. And I have no idea how to use it. So I'm just kind of sitting around with it. And uh, one of the assistants that was teaching on the uh, on the lesson team next to me, his name was Charlie Long, who incidentally was a uh, an authorized golfing machine instructor. So I was teaching a lesson one day, and you know I was spouting off about whatever I thought, and then I was listening to him kind of out of the corner, uh, you know, corner of my ear. And I listened, and I said, wow, you know, whatever he's saying sure sounds a lot better than what I'm saying, and, boy, it sounds like he knows a hell of <laughs> a lot more than I do, and, and, boy, you know, I think I need to talk to him about that, because here I am, I have all this equipment, and I'm, but, boy, I don't think I really know what I'm doing, and uh, <laughs> so I talked to Charlie, and then, and and he uh, introduced me to the golfing machine, and like everybody, you get to chapter two with all the all the diagrams, and you take it and you huck it across the room because you think it's just too complicated to read. Never mind uh, that reading the preface, which tells you everything you need to know about how to go about reading the book. So at any rate, I uh, picked up the off awesome machine, started <laughs> studying with Charlie, helped a little bit, Ben Doyle helped a little bit. And then, um, you know, as, as with John, Chuck was very instrumental in helping me understand a lot more about how the how the things are put together and how to understand, you know, the different components and the different variations of those components. Um, so for me, it started out with, you know, high-tech equipment because I have a, a degree in exercise physiology. So I used the, my physiology background with the 3D motion and then cobbled it in with the golfing machine stuff. So, you know, from there I had a pretty good foundation to at least build on what I felt were the next steps to take. Um, you know, after that I was uh, very interested in, you know Mac O'Grady stuff with Morad. I got a bootleg copy of that a lot of us have seen. With you know when Mac was wearing his little white running suit and you know the standing there talking righties. about mm. yeah exactly. Wearing, you know talking about motor set and, and you know and 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 foveal lock and all that stuff. So you know I started in on that and then basically at that time in the uh in the in the mid 1990s. um uh, you know but there wasn't obviously the internet wasn't quite as as, uh developed as it is now so you had to read so I picked up every book every magazine everything and anything I could figure out and I just read and read and read and then you know over time I was lucky enough to to meet very very influential people and um and spend some time with guys like Chuck and, and Ron Green and and, and people that knew, obviously, a lot more than I did. And, you know, from there, you kind of yeah, get the rest is history. You just keep learning.
1: Well said. Um, it, it's interesting, you know, when you when you pose that question to um, I- individuals, what sort of, um, you know, where they draw their experience from. And, and it's very interesting to see that um, how humble everybody is at the same time. And, you know, we all have our experience. We've all drawn Uh, from you know some of the best out there uh, whether it be visually uh, through video or 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 reading or or conversation Um, but it's interesting you know both of you John and 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 Tom you know acknowledge that you know in the beginning it's a a learning process. Um, Chuck of course I think you just you know came right out and and had everything uh, well at hand. Uh, I, I think you were probably the master when you first uh, arrived on the scene. I don't know. I mean, both of these gentlemen gave you some great accolades there uh, referring to you. So uh, you must have been doing something right uh, out of the gate. But, Chuck, what about yourself? What were some of the, the um, uh, teaching and coaching styles? Uh, what were some of the biggest influences for you?
7: Well, you know, when I started, um, you know, my, my uh, swing theory or model of the month was what, what was ever in the uh, golf publications. Right. So, so it varied. So it varied from month to month. And I said, you know, there's got to be a better way. And, you know, through, through research and asking around. I mean, I went and I shadowed, you know, Tosky. I shadowed Ballard. I, I shadowed Flick. I mean, I, all the big name teachers at the time, and they were all doing uh, wildly different things. <laughs> you know, Jimmy was all about the body and no arms. And Flick was all about the arms and no body. And Tosky was a blend of both. Um, so. You know, I got turned on to the golfing machine, so you know, I, I I bought the book and I I didn't understand it just like just like everybody that picks it up didn't understand it at all. And so I made a call up to uh, up to Seattle uh, to try to find out where the nearest authorized instructor was. And uh, before that, I'd spend a little time with Ron Green, and and it was quite the eye opening experience. He was saying things like like Tom said, his his uh, next door teacher did things I didn't quite understand but he didn't really say anything about the golfing machine although years later he did uh, so I called up there to uh, talk to Mr. Kelly and he had died the month before he died on Valentine's Day actually I think it was 83 Valentine's 83 uh, addressing the Georgia section PGA he died on stage so, so I, got uh, my, I got my start in the golfing machine and uh, just kind of studied and learned from everybody I could uh, Alex Sloan, Tom Tomasello Ben Doyle took a little bit of everything because each one of them were totally different as well. And that was that was what the beauty of is, is the golfing machine is. It doesn't give you a way; it gives you trillions of ways to do it. So, and anyway, but from there, I mean, I just kept just kept studying, and, and as time goes by, you learn more and more. I mean, I started studying 3D motion analysis back with Gideon Ariel back in the uh, early 90s late 80s, early 90s, uh, he developed a 3D uh, motion analysis system. It was the very first one of its kind. He actually did it in the 60s, uh, and it was for track and field because he was a track and field athlete. But he made an application for golf, and then, you know, from there you go into the radar systems, and, and all three of us use different radars. Uh, you know, those two guys use TrackMan. I use FlightScope. Then uh, we all use right. uh, different, different 3D body uh, motion analysis systems, but, you know, like, like a lot of other guys, I mean, like if I, I have no qualms in calling somebody and say, this is what I see, what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I've done it with John many times. I've done it with Tom many times. I've do it, done it with Martin Hall. Um, and likewise, I get calls. What do you think about this and what do you think about that? Well, if you put two guys in the same room, uh, they, may not dis- they may not agree on everything, but you'll eventually come to a conclusion you know, and that conclusion right. is we neither one of us either have a clue or yeah, this will work. So, you know, I've kind of done that my whole life, and and yeah, uh, you know, always trying, always trying to find out more. But you know, uh, and, and not because they're just on the phone. There's a reason I, I I like to talk with these guys, is because John and Tom are two of the smartest guys out there in the teaching world. And if he, if he, if, he, if he, uh, viewers or listeners ever get a chance you know, to get with either one of them, they should snap that up in a heartbeat. So could I interject uh,
8: there?
1: You certainly can.
8: So I, it's kind of interesting that we all kind of came in with the same kind of like really mechanical background. But I think one of the big things that we've all done as we have evolved is we've kind of moved more toward coaching, you know, the complete golfer, Rather than just teaching the swing. Would you guys say that's a fair statement?
7: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No question. Yeah. Do,
1: do you think, uh, well said, John, do you think, guys, too, that, uh, you know, I think what we're in the profession, what we're starting to see now is is a more, um, you know, a direction on, on teaching people how to actually play the game. Um, which I'm sure is what you're alluding to, John, uh, Then, as you said, getting into all the mechanics. I think when you first get into this industry, you know, you, you are very mechanical. You're thinking about, you know, all the getting in the right positions and, and so forth. Um, but as we all have discovered here in, in recent times, um, we're all uniquely different. Everybody's swing is different. And I think trying to put everybody into one box, which leads me to the next question, there's a lot of swing theories out there. You know, everybody's got their own opinion, what, what's the right swing and what's the wrong swing. But the truth of the matter is we're all different. We're all different shapes, sizes, you know, weights and, and so forth. And to, to sort of compartmentalize everybody into one box and have everybody swing in the same, it's just not uh, is not going to happen. So I want to ask you guys this question. Uh, is it smart to be knowledgeable in just one sort of swing theory uh, or should be well-rounded uh, in, in a multitude of, of uh, maybe theories may not even be the right word, um, but disciplines, if you will, uh, to be the biggest help to our students. And uh, and John, I'm going to go back to you first.
8: Well, I think it's helpful to have you know studied them all, so that you can kind of weed through this you know person that's standing in front of you. And go, hey, you know what, I think you could use a little Jimmy Dallard. Well, I think this guy could use a little stack and tilt there to make them, you know, what in, in my case what I call uh, execute the essential skills better. So if you don't right. have exposure to all this stuff, that's why I was like, saying, uh, we get into a room and ask each other questions. And I think most of us are hoping to hear something different because they they might be able to give us another tool for our toolbox. So I might not teach everybody one way to swing, but I might use all the different uh, models that have been out there at different times on people.
1: Right. Well well said. That was exactly what I was looking for. Um, I'm going to go to you this time. Chuck, what about you? Uh, Do you uh, agree along the lines of what John just said is that – it's, it's good to be sort of well-rounded and, and have an understanding of a lot of different disciplines out there uh, as opposed to just sort of sticking with one theory and, and, and sort of pushing that to your students. Is it better to sort of have a, a mixed bag of tools, if you will, so that you can you know, deal with a multitude of different types of students?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think you need to be aware of what's going on uh, you know, in our world and have a, have a working knowledge of it. Uh, because, like you know, like I said, every student uh, is not the same. Uh, I do think, going back to your original question, however, I'm not I'm not sold on the fact that, that teachers nowadays are. And and the reason I say this is because you can look at any golf form and figure it out. Uh, I'm not really sold sold on the fact that teachers are um, coaching players to play golf. I think uh, a lot of them are still hard locked into the mechanical aspects of the swing. And there's, and, and again, you, you find these arguments all over the internet. Um, you know, I, I think one of the greatest teachers ever had the most simple way to do things. And that was John Jacobs. Uh, you know, because he just, he saw the flight of the golf ball and backed it up. I mean, and I think all three of us would agree that, that if you go from the ball and you work it back, you work back to the club then you work back to the arms and the body I mean, you just kind of work it backwards, and pretty soon you'll figure out, you know, what's what's the cause of this. I mean, the golfing machine always yeah. said, if you're if you're out of balance, look at zone one, which is the pivot. What's the body doing? If you have if you have distance issues, look at zone two. What the arms are doing? Are they swinging or not swinging? And then if you have accuracy yeah. problems, look at what the hands are doing because they're controlling the club face. So with all right. this newfound stuff out there, it's. Everything always comes back. Uh, it's hard for some people to admit, but that—that's what it is. And I—and I, and I don't think that we as coaches—I uh, know I don't do enough of it. I try to do as much as I can, but I like to get people on the golf course uh, as quickly as possible so they can learn how to actually play golf, hit the scoring shots, take out, learn how to uh, have course management, so they can figure out their own game.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you Chuck exactly. Um Tom I am pretty sure you're 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 going to pretty much mirror uh the other two guys in your answer with this but uh, but go ahead uh, any any additional thoughts you want to add.
6: Yeah, I think that you know obviously uh they both have the right idea. You know, I think the only thing I'd like to add is that you know, I also feel like um the argument can be made the other way that well, you know, if you teach everybody in their own way, uh, you know, Half your students love you, half your students hate you, and then if you teach a model swing, you know half your students love you and half your students hate you. Um, you know it, it's such a tough game, and it's such a it's such a hard thing to do. That I think really and truly, you know, when it comes down to the to the the basis of it, I, I really think that that as a student, um, you have to find somebody that you believe in. And hopefully you've done your research and you've found somebody that that you feel can take you to the level you want and You have to remember with teachers that there's a lot of teachers that can take you to a certain level, but there's not a lot there's very few teachers that can take you to any level. Uh, And you have to do your research to make sure that you're finding a guy that can get you to wherever you want to go. And if it's tour aspirations, college golf aspirations, or breaking 100, you know, those are all three different uh, types of teachers. So I think more than anything else is find the right guy and then make sure once you've found the right guy that that his – you know his model swing or his methodology or whatever you want to call it you know uh, mirrors what you believe in because let me tell you I can go to a lot of guys that we've all heard of and not believe in everything they're saying and I'm not going to get any better so I really think you have to find a guy that you that you believe in and it also works well with you and I think that you know I, I think if you have a guy that can teach multiple styles I think you have a a little bit better chance than a model swing, because if you can 't do that model swing, you're kind of stuck
1: yeah, and, and let me just add let me just add uh, I guess my two cents if you will. I think one of the other things and 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 uh, I think it was Chuck that mentioned this uh, and John, you might have as well about uh, some of the forums that we see and we 've all seen it, and i won 't get into a big discussion about it but um, you know, you know, on Facebook and some of these others, and, and you know, somebody will throw up, hey, what do you think of this? And you know, about a hundred answers will come in, and some of them will be positive and encouraging, and and uh, might agree, or or if they disagree, it might be uh, with a, a, a tone of civility. And then you'll get, you know, as I put it, the Rat Pack that'll get in there and just cut everything apart. And and to me, that sort of does the industry a disjustice. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I like to see and would like to see more of is is people getting into golf instruction. There's one component that you never hear really a lot of them talk about, and that is you really need to be a good communicator. Um, You know, there's a lot of people that might have an understanding about the golf swing, have an understanding about golf in general, but maybe are not effective communicators. And if you can't articulate um, your points very well, it can be very difficult for, on the other side, for the student to understand what you're talking about. So, as an example, um, you know, some people are good at, at one thing, some people are good at another thing, and, you know, for as an example, um, let's say, you know, Chuck, you might be a great golf instructor, coach, teacher, but you may not be a fantastic player. You may not make it out on the PGA tour or what have you. Um, and I think that sometimes you have to really understand what your skill set is and and we've all seen this you get a lot of guys that get out there in these forums and they they talk a great game but they really don't know what they're talking about and it ends up getting into a battle and they're just you know sort of regurgitating that hyperbole if you will uh of what they think uh or something they've read and i I think that you know if you can't effectively articulate or communicate what it is that you're trying to uh, get your students to do um then maybe you know instruction isn't what you need to do um, I, want, I want to move on to uh, kind of an interesting, uh, it's a really two-part question. And, uh, and Chuck, I'm going to, uh, as I say, I'm going to throw you under the bus first with this one. A- and when I ask for, for this particular question, um, you don't have to get into specifics of the who's or the what's or the where, uh, but just a general idea. Um, at every point throughout our careers, we've all had successes and failures. From your recollection. recollection what was your biggest failure on the lesson T, and maybe talk a little bit about what went wrong, what you feel that you did wrong, or what you feel, um, you know, this, for some reason the student just wasn't understanding what you were you were talking about. What would you classify as your biggest failure on the lesson T?
7: Um, I would I would say that it was a uh, gentleman that used to be the uh, the CEO of a uh, of a big company of in Atlanta. And he got he played in a lot of uh Champions Tour event pro ams and he absolutely hated his swing the way it looked. Now he was a uh, he was a uh scratch handicap player. And he said, "You know, I really don't like the way my swing looks." And I said, "I I just want you to make it prettier." And I said, "Well, uh, we can do that." I said, "But you may not be able to find the golf ball because it's going to be totally opposite of what you're doing now. So right. he was okay with that. So when we got through, he had a great-looking swing on video. He could not find a 100-yard-wide cow pasture. But he was happy as can be. So from a failure point, the failure was that he didn't hit the ball uh, uh, as well as I'd like for him to have hit it, but the success part on his on his end was he was perfectly happy. So I think as coaches, we always have players that we keep pushing. we're trying to get them to play and and look and feel and see things the way that we do. Uh, and, right. and, and sometimes that sometimes that can be a detriment to the player because what we see in mind for them can be totally different than what they see in their mind. and so it's important that we all get on the same page pretty quickly
1: yeah interesting uh, interesting thought um John, what about you? Uh, we've all had them we've all had uh students uh, or even a group of students maybe that we worked with and and things just didn't go right uh what was an example that you can think of
6: well i you know i I think Chuck had definitely put a you know had a great point about we all need to get on the same page quickly um you know another thing that I would add and this is especially uh, with, for, you know, a big point for new teachers or, and I don't mean, this is a, probably the wrong word, but inexperienced teachers. I mean, I I really think that it took me 10,000 lessons before I figured out that I, I figured out that I knew something, you know, that I knew what I was doing regardless of the, of the, of the, whatever the mechanical issue or the personality issue was. So it took me, and that's just my, you know, that's just my particular feeling. Um, you know, I had a client years ago when I was in Dustin by the name of Craig Hanlon. And what I did was I looked at him, uh, he was kind of a you know, a fat guy, couldn't really move very much, you know, just didn't have a lot of uh, lot of um a lot of lot of coordination so to speak. So when I was uh, when I was younger, you know, I was teaching there when I was in my in my mid twenties, I automatically assumed that people can move. And people can do what I want mm-hmm. them to do. And the, and the bottom line is that my biggest failure was not realizing that, you know what, some people just can't move in a certain way, and some people can't do what we're asking them to do. And and, and just because my favorite way to stop somebody to come from coming over the top was X, Y, and Z, that that, that was going to work for everybody. You know, and I was naive right. and, and and young because I didn't have enough experience at the time to realize that you know what some people just can't move and and in the case of a of a guy like Craig, I did him a tremendous disservice because I'm trying to corkscrew this guy into a position that 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 I'm surprised I didn't break him into two and you know and obviously he didn't get any better and you know, I, if, so Craig, if you're out there listening, you know I, I owe you a free lesson now that I have a little bit better idea what's going on. So, <laughs> but uh, I think that's my biggest, uh, my biggest failure is, is being naive and, and not paying attention to, to things that I should, that I know now.
1: You know, and, and that's a that's a and really great point, uh, John, that you make. You know, I, I think as golf instructors, I think that as we you know, get a little bit older, a little more seasoned, and and our experience grows. You know, I think we we can look back in reflection and say, okay, you know, had I had the opportunity to do that over again, I'm sure you would do things differently based on the knowledge that you have in today's game, uh, in today's instruction. But at that time, you know, it's a learning curve. When you first, speak, you know, I, you know, when you first uh, go through the, uh, the the various programs, regards to what your certifications are. You know, you're, you're getting what I call book smart. You're getting your, your, uh, your knowledge uh, and understanding of, of the basics of golf, if you will. But until you actually get out there and put them into practice uh, and, and do a little trial and error and massage and, and, and cultivate your own style, um, you're going to make some, some failures. Tom, I'm sure you've got one or two in, in your uh, golf bag along the way. Uh, tell us about one of yours. One of my failures? Uh, yeah, I think sorry. you mean I, that just... you mean
7: that for John, don't
1: you? Yeah, I just gave you my failure. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was John. I, I apologize. John, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, I misunderstood.
6: No, I, I read Craig uh, Hammond. I read Craig Hammond. I've already yeah, <laughs> I'm, sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought it was John. I apologize. Uh, no John, worries. you go ahead. Sorry.
8: Johnny, you still with us? You there? Um, I may have messed up more than one. So, uh, oh. <laughs> I, uh, you know, there was a long time there when I really was. I, I built my own swing plane board and all that good stuff, and and I would look at a person who, you know, you know, and I, I think when you're starting out, you get a lot of people who who either can't hit the golf ball solid, or they they uh, slice the golf ball. And I would, at first, uniformly reshape the golf swing. Yeah. And I would do, you know, I'd look at the pre-swing basics, the grip and the stance and all the good stuff. But then I would start to reshape swings. And it came upon me uh, after looking on video and going, oh, my goodness, look at how much better this golf swing looks while people are hitting it over the train tracks to the right now. And it took me a, quite a while to figure out that, you know, people are responding to the club face. Maybe the reason that they cut across the golf ball so hard is because of the club face. Maybe it's not just the shape of the swing. So I started kind of trying to delve into, okay, is, it a, is are you suffering from a face slice or a path slice or a concept slice? And then, you know, going back and studying, like we all have done, the the whole motor, motor learning aspect of this. And, uh, you know, I, I ask all my questions. I asked it about 11 times today. Uh, who's the best golf teacher in the world? And they say, well, you are, Coach. I know it's Goldilocks. You know, getting people options mm-hmm. for how to learn and teaching them. Actually, if you want to fix somebody's slice, sometimes you have to teach them how to slice it. It's kind of funny uh, when you go in there and – you're always trying to solve a problem for somebody. That's one thing. But when you're teaching them how to learn, that's a whole different category.
1: Yeah, and that that's uh, – thank you, and, and I, I apologize. That, well, you know what my mishap is now. I got confused which, which guest was talking, so, so I apologize for that. Um, but great point, John. Thank you. Um, you know, that, that's a, a really great point because I think – you know, if the student doesn't understand why they're doing whatever it is they're doing in the first place, you know, it's, it's great we're there to help solve problems for them as, as uh, you know, teachers and coaches and so forth. But if they don't understand why they're, they're making the mistake in the first place, um, then it's harder for them to understand the fix as well. So I agree with you, John. I think it's important for us to share with them, okay, why you're slicing the ball, what, what's happening in the golf swing, what's happening with the club face? Um, you know, why aren't you getting, uh, you know, more distance. Um, you know, everybody's quick to say, well, maybe if I had a, a you know, a brand-new shiny driver and, and or if I had this or had that, I'd be able to hit it farther. But a lot of times it could be something in their setup, it could be something in their swing um, that's just not right um, that's causing some of these issues. And I think once – we've sort of diagnosed what's going on and then explain to them why they're doing it in the first place, then add the fix after. I think it helps them uh, in the learning process. It also helps them when they're out there as well, when they start seeing those problems arise again, they say, aha, now I remember now, uh, you know, my club face is, is coming open or, or my path is, is incorrect or, or whatever the case may be. So um, great, uh, great answers. And one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you guys that specific question uh was again not to to um you know point out flaws or anything like that but just to show the students that might be listening out there that you know it's a learning experience through this journey of instruction and and, and coaching and teaching for us as well and you know obviously mistakes get made along the way and obviously with with our years of experience as time goes on we learn um you know what to, to look out for and what not to as, as we continue on this journey. Um, I want to flip it now very quickly to each of you. Uh, and, John, I'm going to go to you first, even though I know you finished. Uh, biggest success to date, what went right? What was the, the biggest success to date uh, that you can recall? Uh, and, again, you don't have to give names or anything specific. Just, uh, you know, what, when everything sort of gelled just correctly. And then I'm going to go to Chuck, and then, Tom, I'm going to let you go
8: last. So an individual success.
1: It it can be an individual success. It can be just a a general, whatever you want. Just what would you consider your biggest success to date? What what went right?
8: So what went right started with that study of, of motor learning. So at some point, I got on that. I got into the golf biomechanics like both Dick and Chuck have done. And started to put together sort of a comprehensive understanding of how the club and ball work, hopefully what learning is, and then how people move. And then all of a sudden you can match things up very nicely in a way that helps pretty much anybody. I would say that is the, the biggest thing to date has been putting those three subject areas together together to form what I would consider a uh, very comprehensive coaching approach. How's that for spurting question? Uh,
1: no, no, no. Well, that was well said. I like that. Um, Chuck, what about you? Uh, biggest success to date? It can be an individual if you want to share that. Uh, again, you, you don't have to be specific with uh, names or, or what have you or, or uh, something similar to what John just uh, alluded to. Um, what went right uh, in what you consider your biggest success to date?
7: Well, I think that we all have successes and we all have failures, and I'm not sure that any stand out more than another, but I would have to agree with John that years ago, and I'm going to mention Ron Green again, he kept after me to try to get into the biomechanics part of it. And as John said, once you understand what the body does, what it's capable of doing, and the sequence of how things work, it kind of makes everything go right. Um, you know, there's a big thing on the on the kinematic sequence, and everybody will tell you it starts from the ground up. But I have personally seen at least two different sequences, and and the one uh, another one it would be like a Henrik Stenson uses much more of an upper body sequence than it does a lower body sequence. So in my mind, there's two of those. So when I have a player in front of me. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at can they separate the upper from the lower? And, and if they can't, and the upper is much more dominant, that's kind of the area that I head into. But I, I think also as coaches that if, if we're really doing our job and we're really uh, uh, affecting players, we actually learn something every day we teach with different players. Because right. we're going to learn something. we're going to learn something from them that we might not have thought about. Um, you know, it's like uh, you know we all talk about you know there are there are stroke patterns or there are movement patterns, and there and there certainly are movement patterns, but uh, at the at the end of the day, all these patterns, if they work for one player, then they have to be effective. And I use Jim Furyk for that example. You would never probably yep. ever teach anybody to swing like Jim Furyk, but it, it has to be a successful pattern or he wouldn't be where he's at. So just to, so if you discard something that looks kind of weird, but it's effective, you're, you're actually cutting your own throat and not going to help the student.
1: Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. And, and that's really what I was alluding to earlier when I said, you know, we, we have to look at the students as individuals. Um, you know, you're right. going to get some students that, that are going to come with a kind of a funky looking swing, uh, but it, maybe it works for them. And just as, you know, uh, it was alluded to earlier, uh, you know, with, 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 your example, you know, a student coming and, and, you know, even though it was hitting a pretty good ball, but maybe his swing wasn't looking that great, wanted you to change, uh, and make his, you know, his swing look good. Um, but knowing that the results were not going to be as, as good, didn't seem to matter to him. Um, but you understood the, the differences, um, Tom, what about you? What, what do you consider, um, to date, uh, one of your biggest successes? What what went
6: you know, right? I think, uh... I think for me, it, you know, I was always, um, you know, because I was such a, a student of of the the game and 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 you know, followed the teachers and this and that. Because you know, obviously, you know, everybody wants to be a tour pro, but you also understand very quickly if you have that propensity. I mean, my it wasn't in my wheelhouse to go out and shoot sixty five every day. <clears> um, I wish it would have been, but it wasn't. So, you know, I enjoyed right. watching, reading the, the 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 stuff on the teachers, and and you know, I think my big, biggest success is when all the people um, that I have read about and and heard their names and seen their 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 pro students, you know, uh, pros that have worked with these particular players, when when they have called me and asked me my opinion of something, you know, and and yep. when they've become Friends uh, and, and not just colleagues, you know that to me has been my greatest success. Not that I know everything. But by all means I don't. I ask Bob more questions than I answer. That's for sure. But you know it is nice when you can interact with the, your heroes uh, in a way where they can learn something from you and you can learn something from them. And for me, that that was probably my favorite success story personally. Um, as far as a success story with students. You know, I, I like uh, Chuck said, I, you know, it's just getting anybody to get to do what, what they want to do. Anybody to give anybody a little bit more happiness. That to me is, is what, what it's all about. And I can care less if the guy shoots at 65 or 105, you know, is, if he's happy, then I've done my job.
1: Yeah. Well said. And let me just add to, to what you just said, Tom. Um, I have, I have a theory that there are two reasons you stop asking questions. One um, is because you think that you know everything or the other is you've moved on to the afterlife. I'm a firm believer, I don't care what level of instruction you're at or where you are in your career, never stop asking questions. There's always something that you can learn. Uh, and when you learn that, that's another benefit that you have to offer your students. Um, so the, I, I like what you just said, Tom. Uh, and in fact, all of you, I like what all of you said, but particularly, Tom, what you said Um, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, throughout their careers, um, stop asking those questions. There's always questions that can be asked and it's part of the learning experience. And, uh, and I've said this many, many times, golf mirrors life in so many ways. There's so many challenges and, and, and hurdles that we face out in the golf course, much like we do in life. And, you know, it's a continual journey. It's always something, uh, and I think as long as you have a forward momentum, uh, whether it be in your career or whether it be uh, in, in your life, uh, then you're, you're going to be in good company. When you stagnate and don't have that forward momentum, um, then it, I think it's time to get out. I'm going to do something a little bit interesting here. I'm going to kind of flip it on to you guys to talk about each other. Uh, and Chuck, I'm going to ask you to go first, if you don't mind. I want each of you just, to, and again, we've only got a few minutes here each, um, to talk about your fellow guests. Uh, meaning uh, Tom and John and and vice versa Uh, what you like most about their approach so Chuck uh, I want you to first uh, start with John and then Tom
7: well there's nobody on the planet that asks more questions than Dunnigan so uh, if you go to any workshop that he's attending you might as well forget (laughs) about getting your two cents worth in because he's going (laughs) to definitely hog the floor I'm not going to lie But but no, and, and, and he knows I love him. So, um, but 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 there's a difference in how you ask questions. Uh, most right. of us ask questions because we really want to hear what the person has to say. We're looking for an answer. Yes. Some people ask questions with a predetermined answer in their mind, just to see what you'll say, so they can argue with you. Um, but John, right? You know, John. John is just a. You know, he's been long overdue getting on top 100. I know Stick and I have both been trying to get it, you know, do the things that we need to do internally as far as being on the selection committee uh, and the education committees, you know, to keep John's name in front of everybody. And, and you know, he's done a great job. He's got a, a, a new book coming out. I think it's called, it's called the – what is it, putting uh, something, John? The Hole It. Huh? Hole
8: it. It's called. It's a. It's part of a series. It. The first one is Hole it for putting. Yeah. And the next one is Bomb it. And the third yeah. one will be stick it.
7: Wow. So oh, interesting. Yeah. So he he's pretty busy. I mean, he's between these books, these videos, and, uh, his, and his world travels. I mean, there's just not a nicer <laughs> guy, uh, a, a a more a more dedicated teacher. Uh, With Dunnigan and his players, absolutely love him. Um, Tom, I've known Tom forever. I knew Tom when he had hair, so that's been a long time ago. (laughs) Oh wow! I
4: knew
7: Tom. I knew Tom when he he was when he was in Memphis before he came to uh, to the Panhandle, over to uh, uh, the resort there. But you know, Tom is also super dedicated to his craft. He's always learning more and more and more uh about what goes on in the golf swing. Uh he's a prolific writer. I don't know if you ever read any of his articles, but uh pro- prolific writer. Uh, I don't know how those words come out of his head, but he he manages to put put them to paper. Um and again, dedicated to his students, you know, and, and like he said, it doesn't bother him if the guy shoots 65 or 105 as long as it makes him happy. Hey, you know? That's a good thing. Um yeah. Tom de- Tom definitely enjoys life. So um the the after hours uh things are are uh you you gotta be in shape to hang the stickman, I can tell you that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John, what about you? Uh what about uh um Chuck and, and, and Tom? What are your, your uh um, what do you like most about their approach?
8: Well I, I'll I'll start with Tom. And, you know, I read Tom's stuff and he's what I would consider a very early adopter of pretty much anything that comes out. Would you agree with that, Stick?
6: Yes, sir. No question.
8: Yeah. So he's, he's really at the front edge of uh, trying to dig for answers, which I, I think is the coolest thing. But he's also kind of taken that to the approach to helping the golfer. So he's, he's built this knowledge base into uh, a way to make coaching much simpler for his students, which he couldn't do without that knowledge base. That's huge, and that's, that's what he does. He does it in his writing. His writing is simple. His coaching is simple. I've actually been out to see him when he was out at Bighorn years ago, But he's one of the – I think it's kind of cool. I usually kind of wade in a little bit later, so I just follow stick as far as uh, adopting new uh, information. And Chuck is, uh, you know, well, old enough to be our fathers,
7: but uh, (laughs) (laughs) – Now, boys, be nice to your dad now. Methuselah, Methuselah,
8: on the other line. Chuck has (laughs) done so much – (laughs) for educating instructors like me through, you know, golf machine, but also through, through Medicus. And he has really, Mm -hmm. he has, uh, I, I've been trying to think of, of, uh, words that are, that are grand enough, but he's, he has influenced thousands of golf teachers. Uh, I, that's, Undeniably the biggest compliment I think you can Possibly get as a uh, as a Golf coach yep. you know he's in All this education um, You know It's uh, It is a testament to Well both guys that Despite their status In our game Chuck Is still out there learning Right he's still out yep. there Learning more stuff Tom same same situation These guys are it, it's one of those things I that uh, you can't say enough about these guys. They're already great at what they do, but they're out there one learning more, but two absolutely giving back to the game through helping you know a much younger guys like me, of course. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, and that's,
1: and that's what it's all about. And, and Tom. Uh, we're, we're getting close here but um, I'll give you an opportunity well said by the way John um, I'll give you a chance to um, to talk about uh, for a moment or two about Chuck and John
6: well perfect um, you know alluding to what to what uh, John said I mean when you talk about Chuck Evans you talk about a gentleman whom whom everybody turns to for information whom everybody looks to for the answers and mm-hmm. like John said you know when it's one thing to teach students, but when you teach teachers, you are somebody. And, and, I, and I tell you, there's there's only a few guys in our industry uh, that that I would say are teachers of teachers, and Chuck being being one of them. And, and there's not very many. And so uh, anybody that that. Um, anybody that knows anything about Chuck knows that he also, uh, is one of the people that was on the forefront of, of writing and doing videos and doing Facebook posts and doing bulletin boards and all that stuff. You know, everybody now has videos on YouTube. Everybody now has, has things on Facebook and, and, and sport and golf forms and all that kind of stuff. But Chuck was doing that long, long before it was in vogue. So, you know, uh, you know, so you can't say enough good things about that. And as far as John's concerned, um, not only being one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, uh, and one of the most positive guys you'll ever meet, um, the the most impressive thing about John is, in the industry, we have a lot of uh, of discussions of, of you know whether it be top one hundred, whether it be the open forum, whether it be coaches' camps and things like that. A lot of these, a lot of these very very teacher-specific and very uh, high-end teacher-specific conferences, uh, there's one guy that's always asked to, to speak, and it's John. So, you know, that should tell you a lot about, you know, his knowledge and, and, and his dedication and what he means to the teachers of the world. So, you know, I, that, that's the one thing. I mean, you know, it just it's one of those things that, that, that I look forward to, to hearing what he has to say because I know that I'm going to learn something.
1: Well, I, I, have to say, I have to admit, I'm glad I framed the question the way I did. I was a little bit concerned at first about how I was going to do that because I was uh, concerned I might have to get into some aggressive editing uh, when I posed that question <laughs> for you. So I'm glad I asked you guys what you, what you, like, uh, what you like most about uh, each other's approach. Uh, so thank you, guys. Great answers. And, and uh, let me just say, um, you know, one of the reasons I've said this many, many times, one of the reasons I do this particular show uh, Golf Talk Live is, is really to, um, you know, I see the forums the same as you guys and, and um, you know, there's lots of great discussions, sometimes not so great discussions, but I, I wanted to present a forum, if you will, um, to allow my fellow professionals an opportunity to come on and share uh, not only with uh, the general audience, uh, many students uh, that may be listening in, but also many fellow professionals listening to the show as well. And, and I believe this is an opportunity to exchange and, and, and share some knowledge. Uh, and, and I've had actually many write back to me and reach out to me and say, you know, I was listening to such and such, uh, you know, here a few weeks ago, and and so-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that, and I really liked that, and it gave me pause to think. So that makes me feel good to know that the forum that I'm presenting here each uh, Thursday night um, is, is not just reaching the general audience but also reaching some of our fellow professionals so um but i give thanks to you guys for for coming on and sharing and being open and, and honest and candid um and, and humble uh, as well you guys have got some great uh great accomplishments in your careers and many more on the horizon i'm sure uh and and chuck much like moses uh with his staff you're you're yeah. leading the the, the rest <laughs> of us along uh that's yeah. not, not yeah, just, you say, that, you're, that you're old like moses um but, um, but nevertheless, uh, you certainly have been a pioneer, uh, in the golf profession. So we thank you for that. Uh, but thank you all for, for, uh, coming on tonight and, and sharing some thoughts, uh, with that. And, and John, just on a side note, uh, let me know when the book is, is ready to be released, if it's not already. Uh, and I would love a copy. And if you want to come back on and talk a little and maybe plug the book a little bit, um, just by all means, reach out and let me know. We'll, we'll set that up. But, uh. Very quickly, guys, if you want to uh, give out your particulars, uh, anybody that uh, maybe wants to reach out to you guys individually or personally, uh, maybe needs some help with their golf game, uh, John, I'll let you go first, then Chuck, and then Tom.
8: Well, Ted, let me say thank you very much for having us all three on again. Uh, Chuck and Tom, great to hang out with you guys again. I wish we could do this in person on a regular basis. Uh, You can reach me at johndunigan.com. That's the easiest way to do it. And uh, I am in uh, Malvern, Pennsylvania, which is a little outside of Philadelphia. And we do take non-members at White Manor Country Club. It's a great place. And I guess that's all I had to say about that. Uh, The book will be uh, hopefully the next month. ready. It's just about ready to go. We're just working on cover designs right now. And then uh, I'll let the other guys have it. But thanks, Chuck and Tom, for all the nice words. I wish I was more eloquent. But you guys rock. I hope you know that. Uh, I think that <laughs> from right. the bottom, bottom of my heart. You guys did uh, perfect. Uh, Chuck, go
1: ahead.
7: Yeah, Ted. So thanks again for having us on. I mean, I always enjoy being on with you. It's uh, it's fun to talk, and especially hang with these guys. And you know, uh, John, we used to do it every winter here in Phoenix, but uh, you haven't you haven't been the snowbird lately. So you know, right, <laughs> we got to do that again this, this winter. Yeah. Um, we well, gotta let the girls let you go, though. That's, Where that's can the they... big key. So you can get me at uh, Chuck Evans try... yep. Yep. ChuckEvansGolf.com. dot com. Yeah, chuckevansgolf dot com. You can find all my information there. And uh, you know, John, Tom, love you guys. I appreciate it.
6: Uh, if you're looking for me, Tom Stickney, you can you can find me at uh, TomStickneyGolf.com dot com, or on Twitter at tomstickneygolf. And as always, it's an honor and a pleasure to be on with uh, two guys with stature such as. Chuck and uh, John and Ted, thank you so very much. I appreciate it very much.
1: Well, not a problem. I'm glad uh, you guys were, were able to come on and we'll do this again. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll do this again in, in, uh, in a little bit and have the three of you back on um, to, to celebrate uh, John's uh, release of his new book. And uh, John, I'm, I'm serious. If, if you want to, at some point uh, when you're ready, I'd love to have you come back on and, and plug your new book and uh, we'll, we can uh, maybe try and help you sell a few copies, but uh, which I'm sure you'll have no problem. But guys, as always, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, please uh, keep continuing doing the great work. And, and, again, I look forward to having each of you back here on golf talk live uh, on a future show. Thank you very much. And God bless to all of
3: you. Thank you have
8: Thank you guys. a Great right. night gentlemen. Hopefully see y'all soon. All
1: right, that was my very special guests uh, rounding out uh, this evening. uh, Chuck Evans, John Dunnigan, and, of course, Tom Stickney. Uh, And I only got a moment here, so I want to make sure I get all of this out. Uh, But I want a special thanks to the uh, Coaches Corner panel earlier, uh, Clint Wright, John Decker, Brandon Stukesbury, and, of course, this very special guest panelist, Brett Cohen. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job in the panel discussion earlier. Uh, And, uh, again, for my special guests, John Dunnigan, Chuck Evans, and Tom Stickney. Thanks, guys, for, for joining me here in Golf Talk Live. Uh, But I want to give us special thanks to all of uh, the listeners out there worldwide for faithfully tuning into golf talk live each and every week. And uh, I certainly do get a great amount of enjoyment and pleasure of having a a number of highly talented coaches and teaching professionals and authors uh, and entrepreneurs stop by. And it's really through all of their participations that have really helped uh, um, and their guest appearance that have helped to make golf talk live a first class show. Very special thanks to Jonathan Laird from southcoastgolfguide.com, Meredith Kirk, Uh, out in the South Carolina area, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you. Mr. Bernie Pinder, um, OnticGolf.com, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linksgolfers.com, and, of course, uh, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland, just some of the uh, sponsors and supporters of the show. Thank you, everybody, and I look forward to having all of you uh, here next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon.